All right. You can go ahead and turn to Song of Solomon chapter 3. Let's just kind of catch up to where we are at this point in the relationship between our king and at this point, maybe you could call him his fiance, this girl that he's in love with. Um, we, we've seen this picture of how she was a shy girl who was a little bit unsure of herself, not sure what it is that she's supposed to do because she's not very confident in maybe how the, the world around her perceives her, but she loves this king and he's worth loving. And he says, I don't care. I don't care what the world says you're supposed to look like. I love you. I love the way you look. I want to be with you. And we've seen how, how these words that he's kind of spoken over her, these things that he has said, this truth that he has kind of, 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 kind of spoken into her life, we've seen how that has, has changed her, how that's made her more confident, more assertive. How now she's willing to, to step forward first and say, I have things I need to say. I want to be with this guy. I want him to be with me. This is the guy that I need to be with. Like, I can't, I can't stand to be apart from him anymore. And then, and then last week we saw this picture of, of how excited he was to see her to the point that, that he was described like a gazelle. Like he just came leaping over the hills to come see her. He so wanted to spend time with her. But we also saw that he, he, was looking, he was looking forward in their relationship and saying, I know that there are going to be times that we're going to disagree on things or things that we're going to struggle with, things that we're not going to necessarily see eye to eye on. And so I want to go ahead now and say, I know what it is that we're getting ourselves into and I want to be proactive about making sure that we are dealing with whatever little things might creep up in our relationship now. Because it's not yet time for us to be married, but I know, I know that, that we're, in a sense, he's saying, I know we're both sinners. I know there are things that are going to come between us that we're going to disagree on. And I'd rather go ahead and start facing those issues now and learning from them and being able to grow from them so that by the time that we're, we're united and we get to be together, that we've been kind of dealing with these little issues all along the way. And so now as we get into chapter 3, we're going to see, we're going to see kind of that last moment of a lack of confidence in the girl. This last moment where she's still not entirely sure that she feels perfectly safe. That she feels perfectly ready to just get into this. Like, she's not sure that it's actually going to happen. And it's going to happen in the form of a dream. So if you go ahead and turn to Song of Solomon chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. She says... On my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceived me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Okay, so what is happening here? Our girl is having a bit of a nightmare. 
She's having this, this moment. Maybe this is a few days before they're going to get married. She's having this dream that she woke up and he's gone. And she doesn't know where he is. And she's like, I don't know how to deal with this. He's supposed to be here. We're supposed to be together. I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. I'm not very confident. I need to find him right now. She, she wakes up. She sits up out of bed. She's like, I got to go. And in this dream, she's, she, we see her. She's like running out into the city in the middle of the night, which I need not tell you is not a thing that women typically did at that time. Because it's not safe to go out at night. It's not like you, you, like you think, at least go out into some place that's well lit. They don't have electricity, right? There aren't street lights. It's not like she's walking, like she's just going out in the middle of a city where anything could happen, but she doesn't care. She wants to be with her king. She wants to be with her guy. And so she's throwing caution to the wind. She's like, I have to go find him now. And listen to what she calls him. The one whom my soul loves. It's not just that she's like, I really like this guy. I think it'd be fun to hang out with him. She's like, I am compelled to be with this person right now so much. Everything in me is pulling me toward him. I have to get up and I have to go. She desires to see him more than she desires safety of being in her house with the door locked or anything like that. Even more than life itself. Because really, she is risking her life to go out in the middle of the night. And in the culture, it wasn't even culturally appropriate for her to go out alone in the middle of the city in the middle of the night. So she's not only risking her life, she's risking her reputation. So it's, so it's, both, it's, it's both things that she is... This action that she is taking is not something that seems smart. It's the kind of thing that if your friends around you saw you doing it, they'd be like, I want to caution you not to do that. That doesn't seem like a wise choice. You're being dangerous. You're being reckless. I think that's probably the best word that we could use to describe what she's doing. It's unsafe and socially unacceptable. She's just being, she's just being Completely abandoned. It's a health, I, I, I'm stealing this quote. It's a healthy abandonment in search of the one her soul, her very life, loves. She so wants to be with him. And she doesn't care who knows how she feels about this guy, right? She's going up to strangers. She's going up to anybody she can find and saying, have you seen my guy? Have you seen the one whom my soul loves? She's unashamedly declaring her love to him, for him, to whoever she comes across. Middle of the city, whoever it is that's coming up. Hey, have you seen him? Have you seen him? I love him. I need to be with him. She's not afraid. She's not. Remember, remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about how he was his banner over her was love. We're seeing her respond in a similar fashion now. Before he was declaring his love for her to whoever may want to know. I want you to know that this is her. And now here she is in search of him, responding to him in the same way. I don't care who knows. I don't care what the situation is. I need you to know just how I feel about this guy. And I need to find him now. And what we'll see is over time, her anxiety will slowly set aside when they're not necessarily together. She'll want to be with him, but she'll, she'll trust that he's still there. But right now, while they're still not married, she still has, we still see that she has this fear deep down inside 
that maybe she doesn't get to end up with him forever. Maybe they don't get to have that happily ever after that she keeps dreaming about, this thing that she wants. And she's still kind of filled with fear, and it's paralyzing to her. That maybe, maybe this whole thing isn't going to happen, so she, she has to go out and she has to find him. So for those of you who aren't married yet, or even those of you who are, this is a good question to continue to ask yourselves. Is this a feeling that you're looking for? Do you passionately desire to be with this person whom your soul is drawing you to? Like, like is, it, is it painful for you to be apart? We always, I've made jokes about this forever, but I, I get it. Like, I get why it was hard the first couple of times that Tiff and I went on, like, overnight vacations without Ellie. Because she's like, I miss my kid. I want to be with my kid. I mean, we were gone for one night, and she missed her. I missed her, too. (laughs) But until, until you feel it, it's hard to explain what it feels like. That feeling of like, I need to be with this person. I feel a little bit less of myself while they're gone. Do you feel that way for the person that God is drawing you to? Or, I'm spoiling the end of the sermon a little bit, do you feel that way about Jesus? Do you unashamedly declare your love for them to whoever you see? Are you afraid to talk about how you feel about that person to everybody else? Are you afraid to be, to be all, all sweet and nice and say nice things about them in front of other people? I know I'm a sarcastic, annoying guy. I'm sorry. But do you, do you, do you broadcast the way you feel about the person that you love so that everybody else knows how it is that you feel? So, so there's no question. I wonder, I wonder if this is real. But because of the way that you talk, they know, no, this is it. This is legitimate. Is that how you feel? When you find them, like she did, how do you react? Because she finds him, she grabs him, she pulls him as close as she can. And I remember... I don't remember which cartoon it was when I was growing up, but it was one of these cartoons where like this big giant bear finds somebody, I will love him, I will squeeze him, and I will call him George. <laughs> I mean, you could also go with, uh, with Dory from Finding Nemo. Oh, you will be squishy, you will be my squishy, and I will love you forever. Just pick, pick, your, pick your reference. But like, this is where she is. She's like, you were gone, and now you're here, and you don't get to go anywhere. I, like you imagine her just like grabbing him, hugging him, grabbing like the back of his robes and just being like, you don't get to move right now. Because I need to know that you're here. I need to know that you're with me. And then she takes him to a place where she feels safe. She takes him back to mom's house. There are a lot of different ways that we could interpret what they're talking about in this verse. I don't really want to get into all of them because... When you get into some of the other ways, then I have to do a whole lot of work to explain why it's okay the way that you can interpret all those different ways. Suffice it to say, she's taking him back to a place where she feels safe, where she feels confident, and a place where she feels like, I am safe with you and I want to be in a private, 
intimate place with you. And I say intimate cautiously because we know that they're not married yet. That's about to happen. But we know they're not married yet. It's basically her saying, I really, really, really want to be with you right now. And by be with you, I mean be with you. Which is why she immediately follows it up with, in verse 5, I held him, I would not let him, in verse 4, I held him, I would not let him go until I brought him to my mother's house in the chamber of her who can see me. I really, really want to be with my guy right now. But then she follows it up immediately. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. She's saying, I know what the rules are. I know we can't be together that way, but this is where I am right now. I so passionately want to be with you. We need to get married. <laughs> it's basically what I kind of imagine her saying right now. Like, like, There's the verse in the New Testament where he's like, if you need to get married so that you don't burn with desire, get married. Like I, feel like, I feel like they're in this place right now. That's a good place to be. They genuinely want to be together. They really, really love each other. They're very passionate for one another. But she knows. She knows. It's still not time. And she reminds her. It's like she's, she's reminding her friends again. But I think as she's reminding her friends, she's reminding herself, as much as I want this right now, I know it's not time yet. Remember the boundaries. Remember the rules. It's still not time. So, again, for those of you who are not married yet, are they worth the wait? Are they worth knowing that you want to be with them, but knowing that there is a time and a place? Are you willing to be patient. Let's go ahead and keep reading. Because now we kind of get the answer to all of her fears and all of her desires. Verse 6. What is that coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the fragrant powders of a merchant? Behold, it is the litter of Solomon. Around it are sixty mighty men, some of the mighty men of Israel, all of them wearing swords and expert in war, each with his sword at his thigh against terror by night. King Solomon made himself a carriage from the wood of Lebanon. He made its posts of silver, its backs of gold, its seat of purple. Its interior was inlaid with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. Go out, O daughters of Zion, and look upon King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart. So the day has finally come. No more waiting. No more talking about it. We're getting married. This is a beautiful day. It's a day worth making a big deal out of. There's a reason that girls plan these days their whole lives. So guys, practical advice number 37. I don't know what we're on. Don't downplay the importance of the wedding ceremony. As tempting as it may be, because we're like, you know what, we could just get married. Yeah, it'd be fine. 
We need to make a big deal out of it, right? It is what it is. It's just the ceremony. The, wet, the marriage is the part that's important. Don't downplay the importance of it. This is a day worth celebrating. There's a reason that we celebrate these things because, again, it's the point we're going to make in just a few. Marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. And so when we make a big deal out of a wedding, when we make a big deal out of two individuals becoming one, when we make a big deal out of that, we're also, in a sense, making a big deal out of the picture that it is. This picture, we're making a big deal out of the idea that we were separate from Christ and now we are in Christ. We're making a big deal of what that's supposed to represent, the church being wed and united to Jesus. And a good wedding will do a good job of preaching the gospel because that's what marriage is supposed to do anyways. That uniting of two into one. I think it's fitting that when she sees him coming, she talks about him coming up out of the wilderness. It kind of evokes this picture of like the exodus and wandering in the desert for so long and then all of a sudden being brought to the promised land, like salvation. Like, like I think this is the, the way that she has felt, right? While she was alone, while she so wanted to be with him, it's like I'm wandering around in the desert and I have no idea what to do with my life and I'm just going to die out here all alone. Right? He's already described her as an oasis in the middle of the desert and now she sees him as finishing this journey through the wilderness as he comes up for their wedding day. She was lost before, but now everything is starting to make sense. It describes, it describes all of the things that Solomon has put into this day. Everything looks nice. Everything smells good. He's like taking care of every single detail. He brings a whole stinking army. Right? All of these fears, all of these worries that she's had that she'll be unsafe or alone are, are, being, are being shown to her. Look, I am going to protect you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to put you in a safe place. Look, I've got 60 guys with swords who can take out anybody that comes across them. You're going to be safe. I love you. I want to make sure that I am caring for you. There's no more need for you to be afraid of what's coming around the corner. He's coming to make her a queen, and his queen's only going to get the best. Gold, silver, the best wood, all of these things, all of that is now hers. And I just kind of imagine the way that she's saying this. In verse 11, go out, daughters of Zion, and look upon King Solomon. She's like, hey girls, see him? That's my guy. That's how she feels right now. Like, like, look at this. I'm marrying him today. This is how she feels. She's so excited that this is it. That's my man right there. And she's like, look, look at that. And, and then she, she talks about his mom put his crown on his head for today. Like, like he's a king. I'm marrying a king. And I think it's interesting that she kind of evokes 
evokes Solomon's mother here. She says, his mom put this crown on his head just for today. Which is interesting. Because if you know who his mom was, his mom's name was Bathsheba. And she didn't get to have a very fancy and elaborate and royal wedding day. So for, for even Bathsheba, this is a picture of redemption. This is kind of a, a completion, a repairing of, what, of what, what sin took place in her life earlier. She's now getting to see God do something beautiful as a result. So we're seeing all of this, all of these pictures of of redemption. And and, and it just kind of evokes this picture of Jesus. And I want us, I want us to get this. So go ahead, um, you don't have to turn to it if you don't want to. It's going to be Ephesians 5. If you ever go to a wedding that I preach, you will hear this passage. This one's a non-negotiable. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. This is where we're going with the series. This is, we're getting to the point now where I'm going to start making the transition between we've gotten lots of good practical things and we're going to continue to talk about practical application of marriage and these sorts of things in here. But this is where I really want us to start making a shift. I want our mindset to stop, stop just focusing on, well, I'm already married, so I don't care about being engaged anymore. Or I'm not in a relationship right now, so when am I going to need this? Or I'm already married, I don't... I want us to start seeing these not just as two individual human beings who love each other and are saying all of the right things to one another and that are to be commended for saying those things. I want us to start in our minds shifting to seeing how this can apply to our relationship as the church with our groom, Jesus. So I'm going to ask some of those questions that I asked again but this time I want you to think about it a little bit differently. Do you feel as passionately about Jesus as she does for her king? Do you feel that? Do you feel this sense of, I just want to be with Jesus? Do you so want to be with him? Are you willing to risk life and, repu- and reputation to find him and talk about him? This one's more just one to think on. It's not as much a yes or no. But do you realize that this wedding procession, with all of this silver and gold and frankincense and all this stuff, all this that he spared no expense, is nothing compared 
to when our king comes back? I'm going to read Revelation 19. I started doing this a while back. When I would read Revelation, instead of trying to figure out what all this prophecy was going to mean like practically, I started reading it as a worship book. And it's so much more powerful to me now that I do it this way. So read this and listen, listen to it. At, think, think, of, think of this as worship. Revelation 19, I'm going to start in verse 7. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and by the name, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God to the God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There is a lot in this, Jesus coming back for his church, that sounds very similar. He's making a big show. He's dressed really nice. He's got an army. And that's what we have to look forward to. That's what we've been saved to. Like when we get saved, we get this promise that he's going to come and he's going to be our groom in that sense. Like we get, we get to feel that same sense of security that she's been looking for. That same sense of emptiness that she feels when she's apart from him. She now knows, I get him. I get to be with him. I get to feel safe. This guy loves me. This guy's going to care for me. We get to feel the same way about Jesus. Except he is so much more able to perfectly care for us. Right? To, to give us the best things. This isn't one of those, if you follow Jesus, you get a bunch of nice things kind of sermons. Actually, it is. It's one of those. If you follow Jesus, you get a bunch of nice things. The thing is, you just don't get them necessarily now. You get them when he comes back, and we get to be his bride. It's not one of those, if you love Jesus, you get a nicer house and a car, and you get to be healthy. That's not it. But if you follow Jesus, if you love Jesus, if, if you have that same desire in you to passionately pursue Jesus the way that we saw in her, when he comes back for us, when he, when he comes over the hill out of the wilderness, when we're done wandering and wondering what's next for us, when we get to be with Him, He alone is able to perfectly 
complete all of these promises. He alone is the one who gives us perfect safety. He's the, he alone is the one who gets to clothe us with fine linen, bright and pure. He alone is the one who makes us clean. That is a fantastic thought. And it's one that I want us to passionately respond to as the church. I called this sermon the day of the gladness of his heart. I mean, A, because she says it in here. But, but, but think about what she's saying of Solomon in this moment when he's coming for their wedding day. Yes, we're getting a lot of this from her perspective. Yes, she's excited about this wedding. But he is too. This is a day that's defining how he, like, like this is the day of the gladness of our, this is the thing that he's been looking forward to. This is a big deal for Solomon too. It's not like, well, today's the day that I get to make this girl's dreams come true. He's not Gaston. <laughs> this is the day all your dreams come true. That's not her king and that's not our king. Our king's excited about being with us as the church as well. And next week we're going to start get to see a picture of what it's like to have a king who so loves us that he wants to tell us all of these good things about us. This is a day that he's excited about as well. I don't know how I want to end this. It's like, it's like I want us to feel this, this sense. If you are married, then you probably have felt some of these feelings before. I hope you have, and I hope you do. Like, think of the way you passionately love your spouse, or think of the way you passionately love the person that you are pursuing right now, or think of the way, and maybe you don't have that kind of relationship right now. Feel that way about Jesus. Because even more than a spouse, even more than some significant other, even more than your family, whatever it may be. He is so worth it. So passionately, genuinely desire to be with him that you're so willing to just let go of everything, completely abandon everything, willing to lose all and recklessly pursue Jesus. Let's pray. God, this is such a beautiful picture of what I want us to be. I want us to be a people who passionately, passionately love you and passionately desire to find you and get to you. And God, you put that desire in us. God, you give us the heart that desires to know you, that desires to seek you. God, we see her seeking so much, but, but we know this side of the cross, we know that, that we only desire to seek you when you give us those desires. So God, I pray that you would fill our hearts with a desire to know and to passionately chase after you. God, I thank you for that picture that we read about in Ephesians 5 where the husband's supposed to wash his wife with the word. Make her clean. We see the same thing in Revelation when Jesus comes back. We get new robes, new clothes that are pure and white and clean. 
That's what you're accomplishing in us. And God, I thank you that you have, you have done all it takes to make that possible. And now I pray that you would continue that work in this place, that you would get a hold of our hearts and cause us to passionately desire to worship you with everything that's in us. And that, like her, we would have that same desire that I'm willing to let go of everything just, just to be with you. God, thank you for the way that you loved us and we're willing to sacrifice everything to make us your church, to make us your bride. In Jesus' name, amen.